In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Hey guys, this is Jim Ramos with Men in the Arena and the author of the book, The Full Capacity Man. What you're about to listen to is a message I gave to a local gathering of men back in 2022 from my book, The Full Capacity Man. So I hope you enjoy this bonus episode on the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm excited about tonight's, so far of all the messages, this one to me is the one that has probably impacted me on the deepest level. I've been in ministry since 1990, full-time paid, and two years ago, I learned about this, what we're talking about. Two years ago, out of 32 years, two years ago, I heard about this, and it's rocked my world. It's changed everything for me. It's changed everything for me, and I think some of you are going to live your lives differently because of what you learned today about a word that you've been taught an American meeting that is simply not biblical. I think it's going to blow you away tonight. So I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you for tonight and these guys. And, and God, as you've rocked my world with this word, I pray that these full capacity men will be enlightened, be inspired, be ignited tonight. I pray that you would uh, move me out of the way, that you'd be glorified. God, I've worked really hard on this message, but God... All that really matters is what you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many of you have read the book, Lone Survivor? Read the book? Anybody read the book, Lone Survivor, by Marcus Luttrell? Read the book, Raleigh? I've read the book as well. How many of you have seen the movie, Lone Survivor? Okay, Lone Survivor. It's about Operation Wet Red Wing, 2005. Uh, four Navy SEALs went into the, uh, uh, where were they? Afghanistan? Afghanistan? To look for, Ahmad, I think it was Ahmad Shad. And while they were there, they ran into some sheep herders. The sheep herders, uh, you saw the movie, so you kind of get the gist of it. But the movie doesn't show the, the true brutality of what happened in real life. Marcus Luttrell had several broken bones, including a broken back. He crawled into a village where a man named Mohammed Gulab found him, brought him into his home, and for the next couple weeks, they and the, the, really the, tr the, the, really the story of what happened happened once they were in this village. You know, Hollywood portrays the battle, but the true battle, like, the, I mean, how hard is it for 100 guys to kill three out of four? That's not hard. But the true battle was what happened in the village when these people called the Pashtuwali people protected him and died for him. Now, it's really interesting. These are the Pashtun people, and they lived according to this ancient tradition called Pashtuwali. It's like a, a religion, I guess, if you will. And of this tradition or this religion, there are 13 principles. Two of the core principles that really saved Latrell's life are Malmastaya, which is the, in, in English we'd say hospitality, and it basically means that they're going to show hospitality and profound respect 
for any person or visitor, regardless of race, religion, national affiliation, or economic status. And they will do it without any hope of remuneration. No reciprocation. If you come to this community, one of their 13 principles, they will protect you and take care of you at all costs. The second is called Nenawate, which is asylum. Similar to hospitality, asylum says that when people come into your home and they're under Malmastaya, hospitality, you will protect them and guard them to the death. And this is exactly what happened. It's like if, if you're going to like this, you're going to like this, Gil. It's like if we were to go to Gil's house, it'd be like Gil saying, Mikasa es su casa. Mikasa es su casa. Right, I mean, we don't understand these weird, these weird, weird, weird words, mamastaya and nanawate, but we understand mikasa es su casa. And this is what saved Latrell's life. And this is what I want to talk to you about tonight that's so exciting to me. I, I, didn't, I never knew what this word meant, hospitality. I thought I knew what it meant. But I realized for my entire adult life, what I thought was hospitality was a very American understand of hospitality and it was not only not biblical but anti-biblical it's the opposite of what the bible says hospitality is so you you tell me what you think about this so if you have your bibles tonight we're going to look at either titus 1 verses 7 and 8 or first timothy 3 verse 2 they both say the same thing again we're talking about the goal of every man is to be full capacity so here here it is the full capacity man. Some of your Bibles say overseer, but the goal of all of us should be full capacity men. So overseer, deacon, elder, full capacity men must be hospitable. Now, I don't know about you guys, but to me, that's a very feminine sounding word. It's a picture of mama or my Italian grandmother with her apron going, don't touch the food until they're done. The food's hot. Don't touch it or don't touch the pie until it sets up. We have this kind of feminine view of hospitality because we've been taught this American view. So let's talk about a couple myths of hospitality. A lot of times in order to understand what something is, you have to help people understand what it is not. Okay, does that make sense? Here's what hospitality is not. Hospitality is not a spiritual gift. I have had people say stuff like this to me all the time. Oh, I would be hospitable, but it's not my gift. And I used to be like, oh, okay. Because I would go get these spiritual gifts tests. You can go find them online, spiritual gifts test. And there it is right there, hospitable. It's a spiritual gift. Except that it's not. Whoever put these spiritual gifts tests together didn't read their Bible first. I don't know where this came from. Well, I do know where it came from. And I'm going to share it a little bit. Because hospitality... Uh, hospitality is not a gift. In fact, there are three places in the Bible that talk about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 31. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 through 19. And Romans chapter 12, verse 18. None of those mention hospitality as a spiritual gift. But in 1 Peter 4, verses 8 through 10. Now listen to how it's taken out of context. We've got to read the Bible. We've got to read it in its context. So listen how it's taken out of context, because this is the main, ver main verse that says hospitality is a gift. 1 Peter 4, 8-10. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sin. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Right? Now listen, here's where, here's where it unfolds right here. As each one has received a special gift, 
employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. This passage has nothing to do with spiritual gifts. It's not one of the three spiritual gift discourse, but somebody read this passage, they read the first verse and attached it to the second verse and, oh, it's a spiritual gift. It is not a spiritual gift. Anybody with any kind of understanding of the English language can read that very clearly. You can tell it is not a spiritual gift. Okay, so let's stop hiding behind that. Okay, myth number two, hospitality is not entertaining your friends and family. Ray Pritchard said, unfortunately, we think hospitality is what happens when we get dressed up, invite our friends over for a party, and that's nice and good. It's just not hospitality. It's not hospitality. How many are having people come over for Easter this Sunday? Anybody? Okay, we are too. It's, I'm going to cook a massive breakfast for my kids, two, a sausage pie and a bacon pie and biscuits and gravy. It's going to be awesome. It's not hospitality. Eight o'clock then church. Eight o'clock, 8.30? I don't know. Somewhere along there. Anyway. <laughs> hospitality has little to do with inviting your bros over, inviting your family over. That is not hospitality. Mikasa es su casa but it has nothing to do with the people I know. Number three, the last myth is hospitality is not a place or location. Hospitality, here's here's my best picture of hospitality, right? I'm going to need the lineman to help me. Hospitality is a crescent moon, not a circling of the wagons. I'm going to explain this. We think that hospitality has to happen in a place. It absolutely does not happen in a place. It happens every night here in this room, every Wednesday night. Let me show you something. Linemen, come. I need some. These guys are like 6'4". So come on up here, guys. I want you to come up here real quick. All the linemen, get up here real quick. No, all of the linemen, even the, even the six-foot ones that are big and old like me. Okay, all you guys, come up here real quick. Now, I want you to, I want you just to get in a circle like you're at your table. Just stand in a circle. Come on. All, come on. Come on. You're, you're a lineman. You're at the lineman table. Get up here. You're a pencil pusher, but for now, you can be a lineman. All right. Get in your circle, get in your circle like at your table. So everybody in the circle. So now when I come in on Wednesday night or I go to church on Sunday, I love to come and hang out with my bros. Like Lad and I go to the same church. We're always hanging out, talking, shooting the breeze, right? What happens, what tends to happen is we get in this kind of, I call it the redneck circle because all my friends, it's kind of a redneck circle. And we get in this circle like this, right? Well, then here comes this weird lone guy who's not a lineman, and I see you guys in your circle, and I can't, I, I try to get in, and then it's awkward, right? Like, what the hell are you doing in here? <laughs> what, who the hell are you? I mean, you don't have any calluses on your hands. Get out of here. Where's your, your beard's a baby beard. Well, so is lads. Okay, but I mean, but I mean, but the redneck circle, so what, 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 what I'm saying is, it's, hospitality is a crescent moon. It's you guys standing out like this, and purposely and strategically leaving room for a guest to come and join your group. Every week. I've been doing this for two years. It's been magical. If you notice, sometimes we're talking, we're talking, and I'll kind of do this. I open it up because I want you to come and be a part of my group. That's hospitality. It's a circling. It's not a circling of the wagons. It's a crescent. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Give these guys a hand. Come on now. So the, we need to look at this as beyond a place, beyond a spiritual gift, and beyond... Um, uh, our friends and family. It's something different. So what? that's what it isn't. So what is it? The original tent of this word hospitality 
is the exact opposite of what you've been taught. So uh, our last president made a word real popular, and I never knew this word until our last president. It's the word xenophobia. Does anybody know what xenophobia means? What does it mean? Okay, that's really, really good. So phobia is the word fear, and xeno is the word means stranger. It's a, it's a fear of stranger. Fear often morphs into a hatred or a disdain, right? The word in the Greek for hospitality is the word philoxenia. So xenophobia, fear of strangers. Philoxenia, the Greek word philo, the Greek word philo is one of the three words for love, brotherly love. The city of brotherly love is called what? Philadelphia. So philoxenia is actually loving strangers. Everything we've been taught has been wrong about hospitality. You got to go home and somebody got to tell your mamas, Mama, you wrong. She's going to be so mad at you. Your Italian grandmother will roll in my grave when I tell her, Grandma, you were wrong. That lasagna shouldn't have been for us. But thank you, Grandma. I love you. I'm, I know it's your favorite. Philoxenia. It's where we get the word hospital. Hospital is the place you go to to get care from a stranger when you are not doing well. It's the same word. It's the same exact phrase. It's where we get that word. So if philoxenia is to love strangers and mikasa esukasa has nothing to do with Gil and his mama and his wife and his kids, but somebody else, that changes things. In the first century, this is what people don't realize. So in the first century... They didn't have a Motel 6 in every corner. There was no church in every corner. The church was just being launched. The number two gift, the num- not that's the wrong word, the number two tactic that God used to spread the church globally, the number one tactic was evangelism, right? Apostle, the 12 apostles, the Greek word apostle means sent ones, right? So he sends the 12, he sends all the others, right? The number two tactic God used to spread the gospel was hospitality. These guys needed a place to go. They needed a place. In the first through third century, listen to this. In the first through third centuries, Christians were banished, persecuted, and martyred. Under Roman emperors Nero, 56 to 68 AD, Marcus Aurelius, 161 to 180 AD, Decius, 249 to 251 A.D., Trebonius, Gallus, 251 to 253, and Valerian, 253 to 260. The only way these guys could survive and spread the gospel was they would find a man of peace and they would stay at this guy's place. Some places had little teeny pockets of churches by then and they would stay at these pastors' homes. These pastors, these families, Christian families, would welcome in these traveling strangers into their world. In fact, in Luke chapter 10, verse 1 through 7, Jesus says this. He says, Go, behold, I'm sending you out amid, as, as, as lambs amid wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. 
If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if he is not, return it to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Hospitality. Hospitality is the tool that God used to grow the church. And it is the tool that God uses today. But we have a wrong definition. So when I, had, when I saw you stand up and share that, I'm like, that's a total God thing. God had you share that. You were prompted by God to share that because the only way that we can do what you're saying is to practice hospitality. That's really the only way we can do it. We have to do that. So, and I'm going to close with this horrifying thought. When I started unfolding what hospitality was, it horrified me two years ago because I realized I have never done this ever, Ed, ever. You know, I was, I was brave. I raised my kids, stranger danger, stranger danger. I mean, I raised my kids. If it wasn't Barney, don't talk to it. Stranger danger. And I was, I trained my kids to be unbiblical cowards. We're all, we're all strangers to somebody. I thank God for the two 20-year-old Belizean men in San Pedro who came out of their house when our golf cart broke down and we were stranded in the middle of nowhere and helped us. I thank God for the stranger who's a parking attendant at PDX who at 1.30 in the morning saw my wife and her battery in her car died and jumped her battery for her. I thank God for the guy in the dentist parking lot today who came to charge my car because I ran out of batteries today and I had my cables and I had them plugged in. I was missing another battery. I thank God from that random strange dude who said, hey, bro, I'll help you. I thank God for those people that come, those strangers who are willing to help a guy who's in need. And I'm not the most inviting looking dude. So that's a, but here's the horrifying thought. If I read my Bible right, Hospitality is one way that our faith in Jesus will be judged on the final day. Now, I understand you just need to accept Jesus and all that cool stuff, and you're good to go, but your life has to bear fruit. There has to be some kind of proof that you are indeed regenerated. And one of the fruit that God uses is hospitality. And you may say, well, come on, show me that in the Bible. I'm glad you asked. You know, the Bible says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. And here's what I want to share with you. I think what happens in America is we're very into favoritism, right? We love our bros. We have our people at our house for dinner. It's easy. It's comfortable. It's nice. But then I read Matthew 25, and it's disturbed me. Nope, that's wrong. It is still disturbing me. It is disturbing me. I am, I am still being disrupted by Matthew 25. There's a verse in Matthew 25 where Jesus says something, and I'm like, what the heck? Are you, what is this about? And I realized, you guys, I realized this is me talking to you guys man to man, person to person, here in this room, like personally, I realized he's talking about hospitality here. And it's rocking my world, and I'm just going to pass it on to you and let it destroy you. Jesus said this. He will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. 
man, these people here are pretty screwed up people. I mean, Jesus is going, you're out, baby. And here's who he's saying this to. He's saying this to people who are religious. But listen to what happens here. Now, listen to this. You may, maybe, if you're like me, you've never heard this before. Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. That's only a stranger. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. That's only a stranger. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. That's only a stranger. I was I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison. You did not look after me. Then they will say, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and needing clothes or sick or in prison to not help you? He will reply, I tell you, whenever you did for the least of these, you did not do for me. And that is wrecking me. I pick up hitchhikers every time I see them now. I just do it. I'm like, I was in the middle of New Mexico at our arena coaches weekend. Were you with me in the car? And man, here's this gal hitchhiking. Like, I don't, yeah, just random girl hitchhiking. Like, like not a girl. Like, this gal was a haggard, middle-aged woman. Like, she was my, I probably went to high school with her. I pull over. She sees four dudes pull over. She's like, oh, I'll pass. But I mean, I, I'm like, I'm trying to really practice this in my life now because I'm realizing how important this is to Jesus. Last year, or 2020, we had a little episode called a pandemic. And everything was shutting down, right? Nobody's talking to anybody, blah, blah, blah. I had a situation, I've shared this before, and it really impacted me. I had a situation where a, a kid who played uh, for a high school, a 5A high school, he was a running back. Have I told you guys this story before? He was an all-state championship team, all-state champs. And he was an all-state running back on a state championship team. And he was a state championship game, MVP of the game. He went to George Fox. Horrible decision. He went to George Fox to play. When he was there, he realized that um, something about his life was not right. Like, he was adopted when he was three. That kid, his senior year at George Fox, he needed a place to stay. Random kid. I never met him before in my life. My wife and I met him. My wife said, I think God wants us to have this guy live at our house. So we met with him. We're like, man, what a wonderful, neat young man. Very articulate, very intelligent. And um, he came and lived with us for an entire year. But that's not the part that was interesting. The part that was cool was I, I, I see the personal growth in my own life the last two years since this has wrecked me. He made a statement to me one day. He goes, you know what this is? This house is the giving home. I said, what? Are you, what? He said, people seem to give you stuff all the time. I'm like, I know it's so fun. I love getting free stuff. He said, well, it's because you're always giving everything to everybody. You just give everything to people. Like you don't think about it. You just give. You just give. If you come to my garage, there's a Peloton sitting there. This kid bought it for us because we let him live at our house for over a year for free. He just wanted to give back to what was given to him. And I thought, you know what? I am nothing. My wife's the one who initiated this whole thing. Don't, don't hear me being any kind of hero here. I'm not. But I'm learning that hospitality is taking a young kid in who I've never met in my life and bringing him in and just saying, you know what? You're a stranger. He's not a stranger anymore. He's like a son, but it starts with a stranger, right? So guys, I'm just telling you, this passage is just, it's wrecking me. It's wrecking me. I'm, I'm, I'm having to look at things different, and I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm two years into this process. But when I look at these 20 qualities, I just need to let you know that this one is deeply, deeply impacting me. And I hope it changes the way that you guys live your lives. 
Because when you understand what biblical hospitality really is, I don't know how it can't change your life. It's just life-changing. So, Father, thanks for this time with these guys. And I just pray that you would um, bless our small groups tonight. Uh, As you've worked in me and continue to work in me, I pray that you'd work in us. And I thank you for your word in Philippians 1.6 that says, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the days of Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, go get them. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.